and welcome to another edition of Tied Together by Cohesis. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with Helena Hill, the founder of her own consulting company called Helena Hill Consulting and speaker and UX trainer about the ever evolving world of UX or user experience and where we see this industry going in the future. It's a booming space, we know, that has developed drastically over the years with the rise of technology, changes in consumer or customer behaviour, ethics and security, and we've become a much more connected world. I'll let Helena introduce herself properly in a minute, but also to introduce myself. I'm Lindsay Brownlow. I head up the experience design and strategy side of things at Cohesis, and so therefore share the same passions as Helena in this realm. So we're very excited to share our thoughts on the industry and this ever-changing, crazy world that we live in. So I'll hand to Helena to introduce herself properly. Thanks so much, Lindsay, for that introduction. Yes, I'm Helena Hill and I do have a UX consultancy based up here in actually Newcastle, so based up in the northeast. And I actually just found out on LinkedIn yesterday, or was it the day before, that that my business has just turned 12 years old, which is incredible. Uh, <laughs> so being in business now for 12 years, it hasn't always been directly as a UX consultant. I worked sort of started off in the um, in the technology space, in the web space, but it kind of evolved into that from that that website uh, that website company that actually started in Vancouver in Canada back in in 2010 so it's been a really great journey and as you mentioned there along with my consulting I do a lot of work for Northumbria University up here in Newcastle I mentor uh, their students and graduates who are setting up businesses just to try and give them a, a better chance of getting it right before before they go into the world of business uh, and try and minimize that uh, the possibility of, of failing quickly we hope anyway and then alongside that I do UX training as well so I've been training with an organization West Yorkshire now for the last 18 months and trying to educate people who come in maybe from other professions or students and graduates who want to move into the UX world and want that kind of all-round introduction to it. So it's a really fabulous, varied job. As you probably know, Lindsay, no day's ever the same in this industry, but it's so exciting and it's wonderful to be speaking to you today about the uh, the future of, uh, of UX and where we go from here. Yeah, yeah. So how did it start for you? What were you most excited about? Yeah, well, it's an interesting, I took an interesting journey into UX, actually. You might be surprised to hear that my first degree is in music. I'm a classically trained musician. I went to university and studied music for three years. What do you do with a music degree, especially in the in the mid-90s? Well, you go into teaching, don't you? So I then went on and did a PGCE and spent six years teaching music and history at secondary school level, which was well, let me just say, I was glad I got out after six years. It, 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 you know, it, it, it was wonderful. And actually, the, the, the part that I loved the, the best was that imparting information. It was that, that educating people. And I guess in a way, that's one of the reasons that I love the training part of my job right now is that that is still in me. I think it, you never lose that as a teacher. You never lose that want to be able to help and, 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 and move people on. So that's kind of where my professional life started I have to taking some time off where my my daughters were were born and we 
we moved to uh, the west coast of Canada. Um, my husband's Canadian. We moved out there. He took actually a, a, a two-year sabbatical from his job as a pilot, and we went out there and actually set up the business as it is now back in 2010. And it was kind of jumping in to something that I'd never done before, but the organization I was working for in Vancouver required the services of a web developer. And my husband had already trained himself in in developing on Drupal, actually it was at the time. And uh, we kind of formed the company around that initial website, actually. That's where everything started and, and, and how we've got to where we are today. Uh, my husband's gone back to flying airplanes a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> and I'm the one that's the, the in, in UX. But it's, I think, the sort of consultancy in a way and moving out of that purely technical web development world and into the consulting world really has taken place mostly over the last eight years, I would say. And I've been very lucky. I've made a, a good name for myself here in, in, in the Northeast. And I am asked to speak regularly on various aspects of UX. And we can talk about what those different aspects are, I guess, going forward. But so mine isn't a standard way. I didn't do a design degree. I didn't do a business degree. However, I've learned a lot through the experience and through my consultancy, as well as the informal, I guess, the more informal training that I've done online as well. And it continues. You know, you, you don't ever stop learning in this industry. It's forever changing. So, and I think that's one of the great things about UX. You know, it does attract people from so many different backgrounds, professions. Um, some of the people who've been on my training courses have come from marketing, have come out of the university with, say, an English degree or a psychology degree and don't know what to do with it. And they discover UX either through a friend or talking to somebody in the industry. So I think that's actually what makes our industry so interesting and so rich, because you don't have to be able to draw (laughs) to be a UX uh, professional. So and I think that's something that, that maybe you needs to we need to get the word out there about that a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, the different backgrounds that people come from to enter into the UX industry. And it might often be that, because yours is quite creative and arts, but in a mm. different form to maybe what, as you say, people's initial impression is, is maybe you have to be able to draw or, you know, know technology very, very well. Mm. I often think actually knowing how to empathise with people and sure things oh, are designed. Absolutely. I actually say, you know, one of the best attributes you can come to the profession with is being a good listener, you know, being a really good listener, being able to step back and say, okay, assumptions now and, uh, you know, and gut feelings over here. Now let's listen and let's validate what it is that we, we're setting out to do. So, yeah, like you say, empathizing is, is a huge one, isn't it? Totally. What were the sort of trends and things that were happening in industry then and how have things changed would you say well you know I was actually talking about this yesterday and I was being recorded for some for some training uh, for some training work and you know I just mentioned that you know it'd be only as little as six years ago that I could maybe go to a business event or a networking event and and I would be the only UX person <laughs> for want of a better term in the room quite literally and you know so you'd have people coming up and they see your name tag and they go oh Helena hi nice to meet you oh I see that you're in is it the UX did you say uh, does that got anything to do with with x-rays and medical care I mean quite literally that was only matter of five to six years ago there was very very little outside of our UX bubble 
very little people that had ever heard of of UX or customer experience or service design. And I think now that has changed considerably. There are more people coming into the profession now to help spread the word about what it is that we do. And I think we've gone from UX being seen as something purely that you do to websites or apps to now a, a specialism that that ranges right across that whole customer experience. So not only is it now is become more well known in itself, but we're starting to see people move, you know, people people become UI specialists or UX specialists or customer experience specialists or service design professionals. So I think we've come an awful long way. And if you think that what I was talking about there, and I'm not making that up, by the way, I did get that. I would probably say three times <laughs> people asking if that had something to do with, you know, you know, uh, med- medical photography or something along those lines. And uh, we've come a long way. If you think that was about 2015, 2016. To now, you know, and I explain that I work in user experience, I'm an experienced designer. Oh, okay, yeah. So are you a UX or do you work in customer experience? And that is a huge, uh, a huge difference in, in what is a, a, you know, an incredibly short space of time, actually. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think often, um, well, my family, when I first started out, they used to think I was like, you know, Chandler and friends. Yeah. Like they never quite knew, <laughs> never quite knew what <laughs> You know, like, you know, the elders, like grandparents or what have you, really trying to explain. So, you know, your mobile phone and the experiences, what have you, just explaining it a little bit more. Yeah, no, no. I had exactly the same conversations many a time with, you know, and I think it's interesting what I, I kind of try and boil it down to now is, is what I do is help make processes or services or physical products more human-centered, easier to use, more enjoyable to use. And that actually makes more sense to people, I think. I think they get a, they have a, a better understanding is that you're wanting to improve things for people. And, you know, so something might look great on a screen or it might be easy to use, but is it enjoyable to use? And I think understanding what the difference is between something being easy and something being enjoyable is that lovely bit of the uh, you know of, of the puzzle that we add to technology yeah absolutely could you give some examples maybe from like projects previously and then now what projects look like now in current practice for you yeah well, I mean, for me, I would say almost exclusively at first, my work was based on websites. So it was improving websites, improving a digital asset. And that absolutely made sense at the time because, you know, there's a, this was at the point where, you know, having a responsive website was the big buzzword and it had to look great on a mobile phone and it had to look as good as it does on a laptop. And that's actually something I'll come to later on when we talk about maybe about the future of UX and where it's going to go from here. So my work then, I think, was was most more exclusively around website auditing and understanding and working with a business owner or, or working with a t- an internal team within an organization to help them solve a problem, whatever that problem looked like for them on their website. So, for example, you know, we get a thousand visitors a day to our website, but we're only, con- we're only converting one. Uh, there's a problem. So it would be kind of almost unpacking the website in a way and working with them to 
then work out why, what's going on, where are the obstacles, what's happening. And it might be a case, and it more often than was the case that they just didn't understand who their audience were. And it was no fault of the user. In fact, it's hardly ever the fault of the user, actually. It's, you know, it's not, you know, making sure, for example, that the messaging's correct, you know, call to action is compelling enough for somebody to want to move forward and achieve their goal on a particular website. So I'd say that's where the majority of my work started. And then it moved into being maybe brought into a large organization as a UX consultant. So can you come in and work with us and help us become more user-centric or customer-centric or client-centric, whichever, you know, what, however they, they label their, the, the people that they were, you know, selling to. Can you help us do this? And again, it was, this is, I think, where the UX education part comes in. It's almost, oh, it's fine. Helena can come in and help us fix the website and then that'll be it. It'll all be wonderful and we'll get loads of uh, new customers and then they'll stay with us. Of course, that's important, retaining as well as actually onboarding people. But more than often, you go into an organization and actually UX is just not known. It's just not part of that business thinking. It's not how could we use user experience or the tools of user experience to help us grow our business actually from the ground up. So what was quite interesting was, and still is actually, is going in as a UX consultant, but actually it's more around organizational thinking and organizational design, because we can't start as consultants to try and so all of a sudden say, oh, yes, we can fix your website. We need to get people talking about being user and human centric. And that means for me, you know, setting up maybe a group of people from right across the organization. So not only on a horizontally cross cross departmentally, but also hierarchically as well. So there was one particular organization, for example, where we got executives in the room, in the same room as the person who picked up the phone and spoke to angry customers because they couldn't use what it is that they wanted to use. And it was only really in that way that we could start to spread the word about the importance of user experience design within large organizations. And, and I think there's so many different facets to it, you know, that it's almost kind of, well, where do we start? And that's where I come in, I guess, in a way. It's to try and sort of help see the wood from the, you know, the, the wood from the trees in a way. It's to sort of say, okay, this is where we are now and this is what we need to do. And I suppose just to sort of finally, my role now, as well as I, I obviously still do that, and that's that's great, is my my passion is in aviation, actually. And and it's um, in the last two years, of course, as we all know, the aviation industry has been incredibly affected by by the, the effects of the pandemic. So moving into the the linking of the experience people have as they move through space while using technology and and that's I think a really interesting uh, has a really interesting future actually yeah it's kind of that on channel approach to user experience so and I guess in in a way I I know it's quite a long-winded but it's it's I guess it explains my what I've seen in the last sort of eight to ten years in the UX world 
It must be very interesting even over the past few weeks as to what's been going on in the aviation and oh, flight industry. Yeah, yeah, no, it has. It's, it's, it's been manic. Um, and yes, you know, there are various reasons for that. Maybe we can't, don't have time to get into that now. But um, yeah, there, there are reasons for it. And, but the thing is, at the end of that, no matter whether it's, you know, a political decision or it's an airport decision or it's an airline decision, the fact of the matter is it's the person who is standing in a line and has been for the last 45 minutes. Why is that happening? So, you know, there's there's lots of different aspects uh, we could talk about there in, in a completely different podcast. But but yes, it's it, you know, and it but even when that's not happening and you know, and, and airports are sort of moving fairly, you know, are, are frictionless in a way, it's just being more proactive rather than reactive to the situation, really. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more when it comes to the journey of where UX has gone, because I do think that originally yeah, it felt very web maybe mobile design focused and now actually probably more often than not you might go in an entry level with clients maybe working on the website but actually it uncovers so many more things often the navigation structure of a website could be you know how the business is actually structured and you realize that there's organizational silos or things that are going on that are impacting what the end user experience is and I know we've talked about you know you often end up actually bringing that outside in perspective with clients and you find yourself in the boardroom with the management team talking about things from their users or customers perspective and encouraging that you know more people focused human-centric customer focused whatever their term is that that clients want to use experience oh really really interesting let's let's think about future oh my word where do we see things going? How how much change is going to happen in the UX industry? Where where is your sort of training going as well with with uh, teaching other people? Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's an incredibly exciting place to be uh, UX right now. And and what I don't want to do is, in a way, I should probably keep away from using the term just UX, which is user experience. Maybe we should use the term experience design. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody else, you know, maybe somebody who's listening might think there's another term that, that would fit better. But yeah, it, it's incredibly exciting. I think what I see going forward in terms of people coming into the profession and, and those of us who have been in longer, I think we're going to start seeing more specialism. So being an experienced designer, you know, we, we might think about are we are we a user interface designer? Are we an information architect? However, we are seeing less information architect roles now probably than we've ever seen. You know, are we a service designer? Do we work in an agency, for example, with organizations helping them streamline processes and understand which parts of that journey are being impacted by which processes backstage, if we're, we're talking service design, I guess, in a way. And then, of course, there's been a real growth in the last three to five years around the customer experience professional. And for those who people who are listening and maybe don't understand or are not aware of what the difference is between UX and CX, the way I tend to describe it when I'm teaching is the user experience is that interaction somebody has with a physical product or with a dashboard or with a process or a, a digital asset such as a, a website or an app. The customer experience is those touch points that happen before 
and after the user experience. So it, it, it might be from when a, a potential customer or, or user, and remember customer and users aren't necessarily the same people, especially in B, in the B2B world. What is it that we want? Why do we want it? Oh, you know, I'm sitting maybe watching TV one evening thinking, oh, I need a new pair of jeans. You know, that, that can be the beginning of, well, it is actually the, the, the beginning of the customer journey. And it's how businesses and organizations pull that customer through that decision-making process, you know, is it because I'll, you know, I'm a jean shop and I can, let's say, for example, deliver deliver you your pair of jeans, you know, by 10 p.m. the same day. Um, I'm going to be referring to Amazon there. But, you know, or, or is it going to take a week? I think it's understanding the last two years have really taught us that customer behavior can change rapidly and overnight when it wants to or when it needs to, I should say. And I think that's going to be a real driver for what happens going forward. I think customers now have a really savvy. We're in the age of the customer right now because customers want to be obsessed over. They want to be able to choose. They want the freedom to choose. And of course, they no longer have to go to a physical store in a place. We can sit on our cities while watching television and we have access to 10, 12, 20 more different places that we can buy that pair of jeans from. So the experience of purchasing something is going to, I think, continue being the, uh, and, and will continue to be the main factor in customer behavior. So even over product and price. And I'm, I'm one of those customers who's done that, you know, and it comes to buying dog food. By the way, I've got three crazy dogs but when it comes to buying dog food and I've been a little bit remiss and thought oh crikey we're going to run out by tomorrow night I will buy and pay a little bit more from somewhere that can get it to me quickly (laughs) by 4 p.m tomorrow because they have the dinner at five so I need (laughs) so you know I think it's it's I think we'll start to see much more of the customer experience and that wider experience uh, being being taken into consideration those expectations are so much higher because there's more choice and probably patience is so much less, you know. Everybody wants everything yesterday now. Speed is of the essence. (laughs) I think it's so interesting as well because probably attention span is a lot less too, you know, attention to detail and willingness to shop around or read more. Brands have got to get their name out there now and what their purpose is and why you should purchase from them or why you should book your holiday with them or you know it's it's got to be much more instantaneous and that's what you have to keep up with or a service designer or a brand strategist mm-hmm. and consistency as well you know I mean I, I mentioned the term omni-channel experience and, and marketing and of course marketing and UX are so closely related but yeah it's, it's consistency and you know if you're reaching out an organization or business reaching out to their customer base that of course they've researched really really well and they understand who they are and what their pain points are and their frustrations and I I say that with a little bit of cheekiness in my voice because of course they haven't always done that but you know if they'd have and then bring somebody to their website you know that consistency and brand that consistency and message and it's it's just so lacking and and sometimes you can see so little thought has been put into that and it's ah yeah really frustrating yeah what else do you think is going to happen? Any further sort of future trends that we should be looking out for? Well, you know, there's, yeah, there's definitely a few things. 
it was quite interesting. I was listening um, to, uh, was actually I was watching, I should say, a video by Jacob Nielsen, Nielsen Norman Group. And of course, anybody who's anybody in New York knows, knows NN Group, don't they? And if you don't, look it up, nngroup.com. And uh, of course, do loads of fabulous work. In fact, Don Norman, who is the other side of Nielsen Norman Group, it was probably one of the first user experience professionals with that term, user experience, in his name, wasn't he? And uh, he started his, his life at Apple. And, uh, and of course, if, if, if you ever get to see that video, it's only a short one, but he talks about, you know, he's very lucky. Apple already created this great product. But what he was there to do was help make the whole experience into a, into a great thing. Uh, anyway, I digress slightly, but uh, it's definitely worth looking at. And, yeah, so I was, I was watching the, this video about UX 2050, I think it was called, with, with Jacob Nielsen in it. And, and he said that one of the aspects of UX that we should potentially be considering is big screen UX. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, he's absolutely right, I think, because – You'll notice over the last 10 to probably 20 years, I should say, we've been designing and thinking about how can we get something that sits on the size of a desktop or a laptop, a user interface looks just as brilliant on an iPad or a, a phone. So we've been working at making things that are, we're starting without here that, you know, look great on something that's large and making them smaller. We've always been obsessed with it over the last 20 years, haven't we? We've got to make everything smaller. We've got to make it look great. And responsive design, remember that buzzword from the 2005, 2010 type time. And, you know, he he mentioned in this video about the UX of big screens. I thought, you know, that's absolutely true because, you know, people take in information in all sorts of ways. And it was it's interesting because obviously I, I talked about my sort of move into the passenger experience. And of course, a lot of the screens that people look at in buildings as they move through space are huge. And, and so the inform- how do we design information for people easily and quickly to be able to take it in when they're looking at something that's potentially 20 by 10 feet, not at a mobile phone? So I thought that was really interesting, more big screen UX. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see where it goes. I suppose people are purchasing giant television screens, curved screens. Yeah. Your interface for that is always one that is up for debate. How well designed are your television guide menus or yeah. uh, how Netflix can design for the those larger screens or, you know, other. Um, yeah. It's, again, it's, you know, t- TVs, yes. Oh, it's all about 8,500 inch it's crazy we're getting they are getting bigger and bigger um people don't seem to want portable tvs anymore they are giving away my age a little bit there but you know they want everything bigger and bigger and bigger and and i just thought yeah you know he's absolutely right and and that sort of set me thinking about about that a little bit and you know where how information maybe can be designed so people using it or people looking at larger screens. He mentioned, for example, you know, the stock exchange or in environments where users are looking at dashboards and need to be able to skim read or see the the most important information in the right place. You know, I've done a little bit of work on dashboard design and, you know, sort of that inverted triangle aspect to it, which is really interesting. So I think that's something that I, I, I'm really excited to see what happens in the big screen UX space. 
But there's loads of things coming down the line, aren't there, Lindsay? I mean, we've got, you know, we've got more automation. We've got voice technology, voice activated technology, which we obviously we've seen with the likes of Alexa um, mm-hmm. in the last few. Oh, I mentioned her name. <laughs> She's just. <laughs> That worked, didn't it? I mean, fintech, you know, Bitcoin, NFTs we've got. We've got, you know, artificial intelligence. And I think the other thing I'd like to mention as well is that we also are at the moment an an aging population, actually. And so we need to start thinking about how we're designing for that aging population. And it's not all about accessibility in that, you know, making a button stand out from a page by making sure it fits WCAG guidelines, for example. It's much more than that, isn't it? And uh, so how are we designing for humans who are getting older and access technology in a completely different way? Because a lot of the UX design work we see now is for the younger population. And that's absolutely valid and and, and perfectly fine because the, the user base is there. But I do think in the next 20 to 30 years, we'll see more expertise in that space in in that space indeed so and and I think we're always going to need we're always going to need people in UX who might not be a specialist UI designer or a specialist information architect or a product designer we're also going to need people who can join those dots who can manage that almost like a project manager, a UX project manager, for want of a better term. So I think there's a lot of things coming down the line, you know, socio and economic changes, autonomous vehicles, and they need to be designed in order to succeed. They need to be designed well, and they need to be designed with validation to work yeah, I think it's going to be very, very interesting over the next few years. We we know that there's an upcoming recession. We know like how is design going to have to react to that? I suppose technology and user experience design had a boost in the previous recession. What is to come then? And as you say, more like inclusive ways of designing too, mm-hmm. aging population, but ensuring that you know we're designing with equity. Well, equitable design is one of these kind of pillars, isn't it? It's it's what we should as in the profession be thinking about um, in every project actually yeah yeah do you see that coming through a lot more thinking in that direction uh, across the training as well that you're doing or clients that you're working with much more in empathy yes definitely Uh, I think there is now I think that the last two and a half years have been a real wake-up call actually and yes being more empathetic and understanding when designs need to be need to 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 appeal to and be usable and enjoyable for maybe a specific segment of users to to use successfully so yes i do see it and also it's something that i i do talk about more now in my training than i ever have before we have a specific sessions on accessibility and a number of graduates actually from from those from that particular school that I work with um, have have moved into accessibility roles after doing the course so that that's really interesting and as i say i think if you couple that along with you know the this the, the pillar of of designs equitable design and 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 the aging population and for those people who do need 
extra tools to enable them to be able to use technology. I, I think there was definitely a much, much more awareness of that than there was pre-pandemic. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that one. I guess I'm so glad it's much more in the conversation and I suppose working with clients now having champions for that within businesses, it's great to see and I think it's the way that we've got to move that forward. It's not just sitting on the UX person's head or the strategist or the designer's. And we've still a long way to go. There's still a long way to go. I mean, you know, we've, we've, you know, 20 years ago, you know, as I said beforehand at the, at the beginning of this conversation, you know, UX was hardly ever heard of 10 years ago. And then, of course, five years ago, we were getting mixed up with x-rays and UX. However, I think we're still at a point where business leaders... And executives, we still have a we we still have to fight our corner because that 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 relationship between business growth and design in their heads is not not there yet, and, and we need to keep you know we need to keep that narrative. We need to say yes, design helps you grow a business done in the right way, of course. And so I think we do have a little bit more work to do there, but. We have come a hugely long way in that respect. That leads on to a good question for you. What questions do you feel like businesses should be asking themselves, what business leaders should be thinking about to help cradle their user experiences or think ahead of what's going to be coming in future for CX and ensuring that they're staying ahead of the game? Well, I think you have just mentioned beforehand getting actually getting that message out there to business leaders and saying, look, this is a tool. This is a set of tools. And there are people out there with expertise and knowledge who can really help you. I think the first question to ask is, what is it that they want to achieve? And this is where my kind of UX strategy hat comes on. And and, and that's primarily what I am. I'm a UX strategist. You know, what is it that you want to achieve? Is it X percent increase in, in, in conversion rate? Is it X percent increase in customer retention? What is it that you want to do, first of all? And then understanding how a design-led approach can help them achieve that. So I think that's what we'll probably, I, I'd like to see more, and I think we will going forward. But I think what business leaders really need to ask themselves is, is what's that missing link right now? And how are their organizations currently working? Because, you know, for example, I'm moving into the airport world, you know, we've got that situation and it's not airport specific by any stretch of the imagination. We have siloed departments. How many times have we seen that? You know, and I talk about how I get brought in as a UX consultant, and then actually it's an organizational change job that I need to do. And it's how can we break down those silos? How can you change your leadership and management approach to people? And maybe we need to start inside before going out. You know, do we need to actually change our culture and the way that we're working to help us be more aware and to be more customer-centric, we need to be normal user-centric, internal user-centric first. So I think I think there's a number of questions to ask, uh, you know, and of course, finally, you know, how well do you know who it is you are selling your product or service to? And do you know, do you know, do you know anything about them at all? Do you know why they buy from you? 
I can say nine out of 10 times I've asked that question, they don't know actually why people buy from them. So I think there's a number of questions to be asked. Uh, I think there's some really interesting conversations to be had around that. But like I said before, we're, we're, we're well on our way, but still a long way to go. Still more to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's been amazing. Is there any other sort of lasting notes that you feel that we should be sharing for our audience along those same sort of lines when it comes to maybe people entering into the UX industry or again for business leaders and what they should know, take away from from this session? Well, first of all, I guess for people entering the UX industry, you're coming in at the right time. I think there's some really exciting opportunities in this profession for you. User experience is not going to go away as long as there are people on the planet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, so I think that, that that's the first thing to, to bear in mind. And, you know, you might say, well, okay, isn't artificial intelligence going to just take over and design all these experiences for us? No, not in anything like the near future. There, you know, we still need people with that passion and drive to make experiences better for other people. And so I, I, you know, I I really do think that if you can come to the table and say, you know, actually, yes, this fits me. All right. This is what I'm driven by. I'm driven by wanting to create something or work as part of a team to create something that is going to make the world even that, that little bit better, then please do consider it. And the other thing is, is, you know, I'd like to say, don't worry about having a degree in design because you don't need one. Uh, that's not to say it's an easy profession to get into. And I'm not saying a degree doesn't always help because sometimes it does. You know, and have a think about do you want to work as part of an agency, as part of a, a digital agency, for example, with a, a UX team, or do you want to work in an organization that maybe, I don't know, manufacturing or, or aviation or whatever it might be as a, a UX or related professional. So I think there's a number of things there to think about. And and like I said before, really, you know, UX is a project wide, wide approach, or at least it should be. Um, It's not always, but it it should be. And, And I think, you know, there's so many opportunities in that. If we think about all those different stages and touch points that customers have, or users have, you know, there's so many, uh, I think, touch points that are going to can be worked on and can be improved and can be optimized um, to make those experiences better. And for business leaders, you know, as I said beforehand, I think it's just being a bit more, being open-minded in bringing design thinking into your place of work and understanding and and listening to, to the ways in which it can maybe just, even if you think you've got something great, we can make it a little bit better. So I think you know we, we you had you know we said beforehand we're heading into recession, you know recessions yeah not 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 all not necessarily great when you think about it but there's always opportunities that come out of recessions you know it, there's always businesses and organisations and people of course who are wanting to save money and out of that comes some quite exciting innovation so you know don't be too disheartened by by what's coming down the road particularly in the next three to five years because. That doesn't mean to say that there's going to be no jobs, for example, in in, in our profession. I think there this, this certainly will be. So it's a changing world, but lots to do. 
I know, I know, so much to do, and <laughs> as long as as long as there's people on this planet that need to, you know, interact and have, to, you know, and and work with them different bits of technology or you know, shot from different brands, there's yeah. still going to be a need for thinking about how can we make that a bit more simple. How can we, you know, you know, streamline this journey a little bit more? Yeah. So, thank you for sharing those lasting notes and uh, we've been wanting to chat to you for quite some time and I'm so glad we've managed to make it happen me too it's been a blast I've really enjoyed it thanks Lindsay oh no thank you thank you so so much and I'm sure we will keep in touch and we'll have you back (laughs) (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this edition of Tied Together if you have any comments or you have any feedback for us you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesis.co.uk.